Today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. Paul does feel this way about the church naturally. He decides to feel this way about the church, and then he feels this way about the church. It's, it's an interesting dynamic here. So here's what the point I want, I'm trying to make. Gospel affection is not simply a passive response, but is also an active decision, okay? It's not just, I walk into this room of people and I just, just oh, it just bubbles up again. Oh, I love it, you know? No, he, he walks into the room, he feels affection for them, but he just leans into that and decides, this is my mindset. I'm gonna love these people. Hope in God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong to save. Hope in God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. Even the most affectionate relationships have moments where the love just doesn't come naturally. Whether it's a romantic connection, a family bond, or a friendship, disagreements arise and the relationship is strained. As Pastor Ricky reminds us in today's message, our relationships in the church experience the same issues, but in Christ, we are to be different. Instead of shutting down or closing ourselves off, we choose to love each other in the grace that Christ has extended to us. Let's join Pastor Ricky now for part one of his message, Gospel Affection, from the book of Philippians, chapter one. We're gonna be in the book of Philippians, the series we're just beginning in the book of Philippians. It'll be in chapter one. Now, I had a friend a few years ago that was recruited. He was good at his job, right? So he was recruited to a much larger organization. He was in a small organization. He got recruited to a much larger organization. A larger organization had more money, more resources. So he's thinking, okay, this is good. This is a good decision for me. But in his first week, his boss sat down with him. And the boss basically said, uh, look, We're going to be working together, but this is how things are going to go. Uh, You're going to do your work. I'm going to do my work. We don't have to have a lot of meetings. We don't really need to relate a lot. We don't need to be friends to do this job. We're just going to get the work done and and we'll be good, right? I'm not a real friendly person when it comes to staff. I'm not hanging out all the time, but let's do our work and, and, and we'll be good to go. Now, my friend was discouraged though when he heard that because that's typically not the thing you want to hear from your senior pastor because he had been hired on, the organization was a megachurch, and he'd been hired on as the worship director for this church, and that's what he experienced his first meeting on the job. And he thought, okay, something is wrong with this picture. Right, now, when I say that, though, we as Christians, something happened as I told that story. You're thinking, okay, what's the big deal, right? If if this is just a business, then he's just going to do the work and, okay, that's fine. But as soon as I told you it was a church, something in you went like, ooh, man, that's not good, right? That's not what you want your pastor to tell you, especially to another pastor on staff. Why? Because we feel that there is a difference between just being coworkers and being with one another as brothers and sisters in the Lord. Now, last week we talked about uh, how we are partners in the gospel, how this is supposed to be a venture together. We're all owners. We've all put money and resources and time and energy in. We've been united into this by Jesus. But how are we supposed to then relate to our coworkers in the gospel? 
We know that things are supposed to be different than the world, but how are they supposed to be different? Why are they supposed to be different? And, and what if you're a little more comfortable with the business relationship? Like, okay, I'll be here, give me a job to do, but I don't wanna have to like be best friends with these people. Perhaps you've seen them. You know, I'm not, I'm not interested in hanging out at everyone's house during the week. Maybe you're an introvert and just, okay, hey, look, I'll do my thing, but, but I don't really love hanging out. Well, this passage, I think, is gonna help us get a window into how we relate as gospel partners. And so uh, let's read Philippians chapter one, beginning in verse three. This is God's holy word. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. I think you've picked up from that passage how a little bit of how Paul the apostle feels toward this church in Philippi that he is writing to. He feels this deep, affection for them. And I think as we see Paul's affection for this church, we're going to be challenged with our own affections for one another. Now, here's the thing. As soon as I announce, hey, today we're going to be talking about affection and loving one another and friendships, there's a group of people out there that are like, yes, I love friendships. I love friends, right? Not just the TV show. I love real friends, not just digital friends. I love to have friends in my life. I love a new friend. I can't wait to make friends. That's one group, right? There's another group, which I am in the second category, that you feel an ominous like strain of music when I hear, we're going to talk about friendships and getting to know one another and ha having affection one another. And you just think, oh, no. Like, this, this is going to be another message on how I'm supposed to not just be in the same room with other Christians, but like them. And if you're in that category dreading that a little bit, I put myself in that second category. I, honestly, when I read some of the stuff Paul is saying, I think, oh no, man, this, this is not, this is, this is Paul, right? This is, he just must have been an affectionate guy. Like, no, we're gonna get into this. So here's what I think God has for us today. The main idea is this, that the gospel affection is the lifeblood of gospel partnership, okay? Gospel affection is the lifeblood of gospel partnership partnership. First section, first big question, what is gospel affection? Now, here's a big qualification. That term gospel affection is not in the text, but this term is my attempt to summarize kind of the sentiment of the text. As we're going to see, uh, this, this, this thing that Paul feels for the church isn't just this feeling that comes and goes. It's a mindset. It's a way of life, and it's tied into the gospel. It flows from the gospel. It's sustained by the gospel. So I'm using this term gospel affection, not just regular affection, but gospel affection. And let's see what this looks like from verses three and four. Verses three and four, Paul says, listen, I thank my God every time I remember you. And every time I pray for you, I make that prayer with joy. Now, that is in and of itself notable, right? Every time he prays for them, he 
is joyful about them. I can think of some people I pray for that I'm not super joyful about. And then he goes on and says in verse seven, it is right for me to feel this way about you all. Now, that's really an interesting word when he says, I feel this way about you all. Uh, because it doesn't mean the, the feel that we usually mean feel to mean. Uh, Gordon Fee, a commentator, says this. This word feel in the original language has to do with developing a certain mindset, meaning attitudes and dispositions. Hawthorne and Martin, two other commentators, say that this word feel is a word that embraces both feeling and thought, emotions and mind. Paul not only feels deeply for the Corinthians, but as a consequence, he plans or schemes how best his concern can serve them in tangible ways. All right, so this is a little different than what we think of when we think of the word feel. When we say, oh, I don't feel like taking out the trash, or I don't feel like doing something romantic for my spouse. We sort of especially in America, when we think of this category, we think, okay, is this emotion just sort of naturally bubbling up or not? Do I feel like doing this? Like, uh, no, I don't feel like it. Or like, yes, yes, I do feel like it, right? It's just sort of a passive emotional response. But Paul is saying, listen, I feel this for you, but there's also some intention behind it. I'm planning to feel this way about you. I'm planning to love you and serve you. So this is a mindset, and Paul has adopted this mindset to this church. Paul does feel this way about the church naturally. He decides to feel this way about the church, and then he feels this way about the church. It's, it's an interesting dynamic here. So here's what the point I want, I'm trying to make. Gospel affection is not simply a passive response, but is also an active decision, Okay. It's not just, I walk into this room of people and I just, just oh, it just bubbles up again. Oh, I love it. You know, no, he, he walks into the room. He feels affection for them, but he just leans into that and decides, this is my mindset. I'm going to love these people. Now, uh, when Jen and I were dating, we were dating long distance. And so one of the ways we tried to build our relationship and keep in touch was by uh, talking on the phone. Now, this is a challenge for Jen and I because neither of us are great at talking on the phone. Like, Everybody has that friend that loves to just talk on the phone and it seems like they're always on the phone and you're thinking, who are you even talking to all this time? And they're taking multiple phone calls. Hang on a second, I'll call you right back. And like, you're like, how do you have this? And I hate being on the phone. If I can avoid the phone at all costs, I totally do that. And Jenna's a little bit like that too. So for us to date long distance was just, it was the worst. Now, here's what we experienced though. We knew quickly either this is gonna work or this is really not gonna work. Um, there were times where I thought, okay, I don't really want to spend like an hour on the phone because I hate being on the phone, but I would choose to call her in the first five minutes of kind of like, okay, how's your day, blah, blah, blah. But, but as the conversation went on, I started to feel it. I started to think, man, I love talking to Jen on the phone. And so my emotions like engaged, but not from the first second that I made the call. And, and I think that's sort of what's in view here, right? He, you, it's a decision to adopt this mindset of love for those people. So what we need to do as Christians is we need to see gospel affection as both a joyful response to what God has done in uniting us in Christ together, but also an intentional decision and mindset that we adopt when we think of one another. Now, Paul continues. He continues and he says that he feels this way for a reason. He says he feels this way because I hold you in my 
heart. Now, what he's saying is, listen, there's a certain place in Paul's heart and that is why he, he's decided to put them into the, this place in his heart in a sense. And from there flows this love and joy and affection. See, in the Bible, heart is the center, the heart, when he talks about the heart, is the center of will, the center of desires, the center of emotions. So Paul is not just sort of doing some external act or going through the motions and saying, okay, I've decided you guys are united with me in Jesus. I got to do this. So, hey, how can I serve you? No, no, no. He has sunk this much further down into himself. This is flowing from the core of who Paul is. So the, the, the point is this, that gospel affection means opening your heart to other people. See, gospel affection requires you to open your heart to other people. There is a sort of Christian love and nicety that you can get to just coming into a room and sort of chatting pleasantly with other people and saying, oh, I'm sorry, you know, about the job. I'll be praying for that and leaving. But true gospel affection means that you make the decision to put these people in a certain place in your heart or to open up your heart in a sense. See, one of the reasons that, that I often get held back from showing genuine gospel affection to other people is that I don't want to open my heart because I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to get disappointed. I don't want somebody to become a really good friend and then leave or somebody to become a good friend and then hurt me or just go through the emotional work that it takes to, to connect with them on a deep level, not just kind of a pleasantry level. And yet, this is exactly what Paul has done. He's opened his heart to this church. So gospel affection requires a willingness to open our hearts to one another. That's what gospel affection is. But second point, what creates gospel affection? What creates this? Well, this is a little bit of a review, but Paul restates it twice. And so we're going to go ahead and cover it twice because I guess Paul knew we need to hear it twice. So what created this bond between Paul and the church? Verse 7b, second half of verse 7. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Now, when Paul says you are partakers, he's referring back to the, the word partnership, I think in verse 5. Partnership is the Greek word koinonia. And in this partakers with me, he says you are sin koinonos with me. So meaning we have a koinonia partnership, but now we are sin koinonos together partners in the gospel. So this gospel partnership is what is creating gospel affection. Now, and he says they're partners with him of grace. Now, grace here is probably not referring to the grace of salvation, which is true, which we covered last week, right? That, that God has united us with Christ in fellowship, right? So now we have fellowship with God and there are other people who have been brought near to fellowship with God. And so now we have fellowship with them also. So that's one sort of partnership of grace. But he's referring specifically to their practical partnership in the work of the gospel. He says, you are my partners in my imprisonment. Meaning that they sent this guy, Epaphroditus, with a financial gift, uh, Epaphras. Um, no, Epaphroditus, yeah, sorry. They're two different similar names. A guy, Epaphroditus, with this financial gift to help Paul survive while he's in the Roman prison. 
right? So they are Paul's partners in prison. But more than that, he says, they are his partners in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So Paul is over here in Rome, and he, he really is, we're going to see in a couple weeks, he sees this as an opportunity. He's standing before all of these officials in Rome. He, he's standing before all these people. He has this platform to explain why he is a Christian and why they should be persuaded to become Christians too. So they think that they've put him on trial and it's bad for him. He's thinking, this is perfect. You're, you're marching me right down into the heart of Rome. I'm gonna share the gospel with the whole city. It's perfect. But meanwhile, back in Philippi, the people in Philippi are doing exactly what Paul is doing, just in a different way. They are participating in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. They are continuing to share the gospel with their neighbors and friends and the people in their region and city. And so Paul is saying, listen, you guys are partners with me of grace, both in my imprisonment, thank you for the gift, but also in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You might be there in Philippi and I might be in Rome, but we are brothers in arms. We are linked. We are side by side defending the gospel and confirming its witness through our lives. He's saying, you are, we are together in this work. And gospel partnership creates gospel affection. Something happens, guys, when we stand side by side, other people doing the work of the gospel, whether it's something practical, like serving people in the neighborhood, like we talked about, or something deeply spiritual, like the counseling that's going on with, with um, pregnancy and fatherhood solutions, or whether it's in community groups, or whether it's, however it looks, when we stand shoulder to shoulder with other people, we will experience a deep gospel affection for them because of our unique link to them, okay? That you get to a place that you never get to with a million cups of coffee chatting about life when you stand side by side with somebody and defend and confirm the gospel. And that's what, that's what Paul's talking about. It was cool. It, last year, I was, I, I was visited the church planning cohort for Sovereign Grace. And so there was these very diverse guys who were coming together to get trained. One guy was from Montana. The kind of guy he was is he brought all of his hunting gear to the airport so that when he got back in, he could leave for a two-day hunting trip. There's that guy. I can't relate to that guy, but I'm intimidated and, and awed by that guy. <laughs> There's a guy that was born in Albuquerque, bilingual guy who's planting a church in Santa Ana in Orange County. Uh, there's a guy who was, did not grow up impoverished, but has a master's degree in poverty studies or something similar. And he is planting a church in a really, really poor part of Philadelphia. There was a guy planting in uh, Northwest Arkansas, who's a pastor there. And he was a chaplain in the army and has going, gotten out of the army and is going back to plant. And so this is the weirdest group of guys I've ever been together with in the same room, right? I was just thinking, what are they gonna talk about? Like, what do you, I don't know, urban guys, rural guys. And yet, on the first night of the cohort, these guys all shared their stories of how they became Christians and how they got to this point in the ministry to where they were about to plant a church. And you could like feel something happening in the room. As they described what God had done in them, their hearts were begun to be knitted together. And then as they described what they felt God leading them to do, it was almost like this, this Holy Spirit moment where you, you realize, okay, you may be in Arkansas, you may be in Orange County, you may be in Philly, you may be in Montana, but we are shoulder to shoulder here. And what's awesome is every two months they would gather together in this cohort. And when I saw them, like later on that year, they acted like best friends. 
And you think, man, this is the weirdest group of best friends ever. But as they're launching churches and working in all these different cities, they're together in the advance and the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. So here's my question for you. Are your relationships with other Christians built around gospel partnership? Or are they just built around mutual likes and dislikes? Are they built on we have to show up at the same group every week? Or is there something deeper and richer that grounds your friendships and your affections with people? Because here's the thing. When you build shallow, that stuff gets easily dislodged and blows away. But when you build deep, it takes time, but that stuff stays. That, friends, that is what creates gospel affection over the long haul. But third, third question, what sustains gospel affection? We talked about what creates it, but what sustains it over the long haul? See, it's one thing to get, here's what could happen. I could just preach the rest of the message on point number two. Here's what creates it. Yeah, here we go. And get you guys fired up and be like, yeah, let's do it. but what about when they get annoying? What about when they sin against us? What about when we just don't feel like doing the hard work of partnership? What if it just seems like more work than we want to put in? What do we do when we aren't feeling the way the Apostle Paul feels right here? Right? That's the real trick. And Paul says two crucial things here. First, he says this, I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, at first, this seems kind of like a crazy overstatement. Does, like you're, you're wondering, does Paul really feel as much affection for this church as Jesus feels for the church, right? Jesus died for the church. Okay, Paul, I understand you planted the church, but let's not, let's not get crazy here. No, no, no. He's not saying that. He's saying instead, I feel for you what Christ feels for you. And and listen to this, follow the logic. At the beginning of the letter, Paul references this great theological theme of being in Christ. So when we become Christians, a miracle happens. We are not only brought from death to life, we are then united with Christ and now Christ lives in us through the power of the Spirit. Christ begins this renovation project in our hearts where by the power of the Spirit, we look more and more and more like Jesus. But not only do we look more and more and more like Jesus, we begin to feel more and more and more what Jesus feels. Right? We learn to hate sin more like Jesus. We learn to love God more like Jesus. And we learn to love God's people more the way that Jesus loves his people. So here's the logic. If Jesus is in us and Jesus loves the church, then we will begin to love the church. Not just with our affection, but with Jesus' affection. In a sense, we begin to see through Jesus' eyes and then feel what Jesus feels. Hope in God, oh my soul, he is strong and he's strong to save. Hope in God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. What makes Pastor Ricky call the book of Philippians the happiest book in the Bible? As we've been discovering in this series, it's because of the incredible good news the Apostle Paul has to share with us all. Pastor Ricky has been teaching verse by verse through this short but powerful New Testament letter, emphasizing the joy that can only be found in the redeeming power of Jesus Christ. 
We hope you've caught some of that joy as you listen today. If you want to listen to today's message again or explore more of the teachings available from Better News Radio, we'd encourage you to visit our website, betternewsradio.com. There you can also find more information about this ministry and subscribe to our podcast. Be sure to check out Pastor Ricky's Better News book, available for free online. This book answers questions about who Jesus is, why we all need to know Him, and how this knowledge can completely change our world. Feel free to download or share it with someone who may be asking these questions. We're so blessed to have you as our listeners, and we're thrilled that you joined us today. If you ever have any questions for us or would like to share a prayer request with us, please send an email to radio at betternewsradio.com. We'll reply as soon as we can, and we'll start praying even sooner. That email again is radio at betternewsradio.com. Thanks for tuning in to our program today. Join Pastor Ricky Alcantad next time to keep studying the happiest book in the Bible right here on Better News Radio.